Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today in our European roundup, we're talking Champions League, Dortmund PSG, Liverpool's return to Wonderland and Tottenham Leipzig. For once, an RB problem for Spurs that's not Serge Aurier. We've got all of the midweek action previewed and a top roundup of all the stuff that happened over the weekend. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thanks so much for joining us today on the European edition of the Totally Football Show. Here in the studio, uh, it's James Horncastle. Hi, James. Hi, James, yourself. And Alvaro Romeo. Hola, hola. Hola, hola to you too, Alvaro. On the line, and this is where things could get tricky, Julien Laurence. Bonjour, James. Oi, Julien's there. And also Raphael Honigstein. Hi, James. Hi. What a lovely clear line we have to you, Rafa. Shame that you couldn't be here with us, but uh, a lot to talk about. And uh, through the magic of, you know, literally wireless technology, we're going to still get your thoughts on a huge weekend, but an especially huge midweek. May I begin by asking you what are the big headlines? Rafa, you first. What's making the news in the Bundesliga? Well, I guess the big headline is that all the big teams won. Uh, the top four all won. They looked very good. Leverkusen won as well, an important game away to New Berlin. Only Schalke of the teams with a realistic ambition to make the top four didn't didn't quite do it with a nil-nil draw. So um, things are shaping up still nicely at the top of the Bundesliga. That's the story. OK, big wins for Leipzig and Dortmund ahead of their Champions League clashes, which we will be proving ever so soon. Julien, what about for you en France? Well, we had an incredible game in uh, Amiens between Amiens and PSG that finished uh, 4-4. PSG were 3-0 down after 40 minutes, came back to lead 4-3, and right in added time, Amiens scored to make it 4-4. So that's, that was the big game, one of the games of the season. Right, Gael Kakuta playing a massive uh, part in that extraordinary Amiens performance. James, uh, what are you going to be telling us about? Well, Lazio have Scudetto bonuses written into their players' contracts for a reason, James. It's because they believe that they're going to lift... Uh, that title in May. Uh, we've also got Juventus, who Jurgen Klopp have tipped to be uh, champions of Europe because clearly Klopp watches an awful lot of Serie A at the moment. Um, and we've got Atalanta as well, preparing in the best of ways for their round of 16 Champions League tie with that win against Roma at the weekend. Right, they'll be taking on Valencia. Alvaro, you're going to be telling us all about their preparations, which involved the 2-2 draw with Atletico Madrid, who got a big game themselves with Liverpool. They do indeed, and um, there is some sort of fear in Spain that maybe this could be the season in which uh, three or four of the Spanish teams can be knocked out in this stage because none of them are doing very well, not even Real Madrid, who drew against Celta this weekend at home. And in a football weekend that uh, had only nine games because their Eibar Real Sociedad game was uh, postponed uh, due to the high level of uh, chemical compounds uh, flying in the air in the Basque Country. Extraordinary. Wow. <laughs> Extraordinary. All right. Well, uh, clearly all sorts of important stories to uh, bring you. We're going to begin with the Champions League. It returns Tuesday and Wednesday. And the standout fixture will be coming up in the West Fallon Stadion. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. So, Tuesday night, one yellow wall, two high-scoring teams that can't defend. It all adds up to something pretty special. Rafa and Jules, Dortmund taking on PSG, some of the most exciting scoring talent in the world. Who's going to come out on top? 
first of all, like I've said the last few weeks, I think it's a, it's a very high-scoring game and two two legs, actually, where you can easily see a 4-2 win for someone, a 4-3 win in the second leg, because I think those teams are not just the most entertaining teams in Europe, but also attacking-wise, probably the best or the most uh, attacking-wise teams. And I think that PSG will go into this game with a few question marks over the fitness of Neymar, for example, who will be there, who will start the game, but who hasn't played four games in a row now. Uh, Kylian Mbappé was also arrested at, at the weekend. And the big question for us is, will Thomas Tuchol uh, go bold and play with a 4-4-2 formation that leaves his defence a bit exposed but take that risk? Or will he be a bit more conservative in a way and play with three midfielders or even dropping Mauro Cardi and replacing him by uh, Sarabia up front? who will almost play as a second striker, and that means he could defend a bit more in midfield. It'd be very interesting to see, but for Tuchel, it's a big game going back to Dortmund, obviously, and I think he's feeling the pressure. And PSG overall, I think, are feeling a bit of tension and pressure because they know that it's going to be a hell of a game. They had the best defensive record thus far in the Champions League this season. Only two goals conceded, but they didn't exactly play like that this weekend, as you mentioned, that incredible 4-4 draw with one of the worst teams in Ligue 1. How worrying is that performance for you going into this game in Dortmund? Tuchel said, I'm not worried. And I think he, I think he was right, although that, that might have been a bit of PR, but there was a lot of players missing. So no Neymar, for example, no Mbappe, as we said. But Verratti was on the bench. Marquinhos was on the bench as well. Thiago Silva was only just coming back from, from an injury and he was only going to play one the first half. And he was disastrous in that first half. But again, that was that was also part of the plan. There was neither of the two fullbacks. So it was it was very much a B team, even maybe a C team for PSG. But it's true that they're considering goals. If you look at the group stages in the Champions League, a lot of those games, for example, the two games against uh, Real Madrid, they played in that 4-3-3 formation with three proper midfielders with, with a defensive mind in them as well. It's only really recently that they've been playing with, with that 4-4-2 formation when you have Neymar, Di Maria, Mbappe and Cardi. It's, it's only down to Tuchel to find the right formula for the game on Tuesday, i.e. do you go all for the attack and you play that 4-4-2 and you have your four big stars there or do you change it a bit because it's the first leg and maybe if you'll be more conservative for that first game, it's, it's not a big deal either. Okay, uh, Tuchel under pressure, but same can be said, Rafa, for Lucien Favre at Dortmund. Yes, although I think the Champions League is almost of lesser importance. Of course, Dortmund want to give a good account of themselves. They want to go far, but I think there is a, uh, a realisation or an acceptance that they're not favourites uh, to go through against PSG. And uh, the emphasis, the focus is very much on winning the league, possibly. Um, having said that, they don't want to embarrass themselves. They don't want to be in a position where everything is over after a poor home performance, um, which which can happen with this Dortmund team. As you know, as we've seen throughout the season, they're very, very leaky at the back. They score some wonderful goals, but it doesn't strike you as the natural combination to succeed in the Champions League, where, especially in the knockouts, you have to really tighten up at the back. Uh, encouragingly for them, they had for once a clean sheet when they played Frankfurt on Friday night, they beat them 4-0. Emre Can has uh, made a decent impact playing as a second defensive midfielder alongside uh, Axel Witzel in uh, what is now more or less a settled 3-4-3 formation for Favre, which provides a bit of stability, but in reality can still be very open and susceptible, especially to counter-attack. So it should be an amazing game, but not perhaps one of... Um, the most balanced sides in the competition. That's Jaden Sancho. 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 Tor! 50. 
Bradley, you say PSG are a big favourites in this, but I'm just thinking with, with Jaden Sancho in excellent form, with Harling banging in the, the the goals for Dortmund, are they really such underdogs going into this clash at home with the with the yellow wall behind them? Well, I think they give themselves a decent shot, but it's not a case where a knockout or elimination would be seen as some kind of great tragedy or embarrassment in itself. Uh, I think you're right. Um, they have shown against Barcelona, for example, in the group stage, also against Conde's Inter, that certainly at home, they can overwhelm an opposition. They can use the energy of the crowd. They can uh, really take the game to them and kind of pose a lot of problems and, and create that, uh, that rush of chances. But it's the other end where I worry about. And you can easily see this game sort of finishing 3-3 or something like that. And then they have to go to Paris and maybe score as well. So over the course of 180 minutes, I think it's going to be difficult. But they have noticed, of course, that PSG have their own issues. Um, They are slightly more settled side than they were perhaps in the group stages. But you never know which Dortmund turn up. Is it a Dortmund that played a really decent game against Frankfurt and beat them 4-0? Or the Dortmund that uh, lost 4-3 away to Leverkusen, conceding two goals in the last 10 minutes. And you'll know a lot more um, after Tuesday, but I think the, the signs are that it's going to be maybe a little bit beyond them. Be interesting to get your thoughts on RB Leipzig's chances at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So uh, hang around. We'll talk about that again very shortly. Uh, but Jules, just beyond PSG and that remarkable 4-4 draw at the weekend. The other French headlines included Marseille continuing their unbeaten streak with a 2-1 win over Lille, and yet another loss for Toulouse. Yeah, Toulouse have now lost 14 of the last 15 league matches, which, as we said, was not the record because the record was 12 in a row and they had that draw, that nil draw a couple of weeks ago. But it's still going from bad to worse for them. And for Marseille, there was a lot of fears for them and for AVB that without Dimitri Payet, they were struggling in Lille. They wrote their luck a little bit. They score, they, they, they leveled the score with an own goal after going uh, one goal down uh, for Victor Ozyman's goal for Lille, and then scored straight after the second goal. And then were very solid as, as they've been all season. So good for Villas Boas and good good for Marseille. Monaco won as well, again with uh, Robert Moreno, and they're making good progress too. So it should be a very interesting race for third place because I think Marseille will finish second now and PSG first. Okay. Ian tweets in for you, Jules. He says, uh, if PSG win the Champions League, will you do a Gary Lineker and do the next Totally Football show after the final in your underwear? Or I anybody will, else's I, underwear? Actually. With pleasure. Yeah, anything. Any, I, I wear yours if you want, if we win the Champions League. Exciting, Jules. And how confident are you that it's all going to go all right for the Parisians in Germany this week? I'm a bit worried, I have to say. I'd be a bit tense watching the game. Um, however, like Rafa said, I think over the two legs with the second leg in, in, in Paris, there, there should be a bit of optimism there. It would be very tricky. Well, thank you for, for, for joining us today. Look forward to seeing you when you're back in the country. Yes, next week. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. It's your one-stop shop for build-up, analysis and a bit of crack ahead of the 2020 Cheltenham Festival. New episodes every Friday. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Wednesday in North London, it's Spurs against Leipzig. Raphael Honigstein, are you excited? I am excited, actually. Yeah, it's a, it's a game which is hard to predict. Um, Spurs are certainly not the finished product under under Jose Mourinho and, and maybe a diminished force in Champions League context. 
and Leipzig are exciting, but also very inexperienced at this level. This is mm. their first ever knockout in the Champions League, and the age structure and the sort of lack of experience might be telling. So hard one to call that one. Yeah, they did all right in the group stages away from home in particular. They got so much talent up front. And particularly when you, when you look at the way Spurs were against Villa this weekend with the the way that Jack Grealish and others seem to be targeting that, that whole kind of left-hand side or the, the right-hand side of Spurs, Serge Aurier. How optimistic are you that, uh, that Nagelsmann is going to be able to uh, win this one? I think they've got a very decent chance, especially because of these areas that you just mentioned. I mean, that's where Timo Werner operates. He's a he's a striker that likes to come from the left, so attacking the, the Spurs right back will be very much on his mind. He often plays with a second striker next to him, which is unusual and I think can sometimes be a little bit difficult for teams who are no longer used to, to playing against two all the time. So they have quality, um, especially in, in those attacking situations, and they have quality at the back with Dio Opomecano having an unbelievably good season now that he's recovered from injury. But on the whole, they can still make mistakes and they can still get it a little bit wrong, which is why in recent weeks they've reverted to a a back three that often becomes a back five to be a little bit more pragmatic, if you will, less dependent on the pressing game going right because they have that extra couple of men back. But at the same time, it sometimes kind of diminishes their energy a little bit because they're a little bit deeper and then find it harder to to transition effectively. So a team that is still very much, I think, growing um, into a proper Champions League side, certainly into a proper a championship contender in the Bundesliga. But again, a tie that is pretty even, but with a decent opportunity, I think, for Leipzig to go through. Leipzig with 3-0 winners at the weekend over Werder Bremen. Uh, another goal from Patrick Schick, I see, who's, who's now in six goals in 10 matches, which is, that's more goals than he scored in two years at Roma. He's suddenly returned to form. I think he's returned to fitness first and foremost, and that, that makes a big difference. He, he arrived not fully fit, uh, but now um, having, having found that, um, that fitness again after some lengthy injury problems, he looks a great player. And I think he's one of those players who really complements Werner style. Well, you know, Werner is, um, is a kind of a hybrid striker, uh, used to be a, a winger, likes to attack from wide areas, needs a bit of space. Schick is more of a of a number nine who's also very good technically. He can drop deep and uh, and play in Werner with that final ball. So the two of them make it for a really, really nice combination. Um, and they, they have options as well, you know, around them. There's Yusuf Paulsen, who's still doing a really good job. There's the likes of uh, Sabitzer, who, who joins up with the attacker. There's, there's good quality all around the side. And um, maybe a case to be made that uh, for all the, the problems and, and, and shortcomings and deficits that we mentioned, as a team, they're probably slightly more stable and functioning than Spurs at the moment, where you can feel that this is still a, a side that is built by Pochettino now being asked to play Mourinho football, which is not perhaps the most natural fit for some of these players. I think we mentioned the other day what happened last time Spurs welcomed a Bundesliga side to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in, in the Champions League. It was that massive 7-2 victory for Bayern Munich. Is there a risk of something similar this time, Rafa? I, I don't think so. I think Bayern caught Spurs on a night uh, or at a time when the Pochettino regime or era was coming to an end and there was something very clearly broken and even in that game actually Spurs uh, had the better of the first uh, half an hour or so creating lots of problems for Bayern and it could have gone in a different way but I don't think a Jose Mourinho side will ever be beaten 7-2 
um, I think he probably finds a way of abandoning the game before that happens. So no danger of that, I think. OK. Well, a 3-0 win at the weekend anyway over Werder Bremen, uh, but it didn't help them too much in the title race, RB Leipzig, because everybody else won as well. Bayern, who will be facing Chelsea next week, went to Cologne, who'd won five of their last six, and uh, it didn't take long before they were 3-0 up. <laughs> no, 12 minutes and the game was over. And uh, that has been a sort of a feature for Bayern in recent weeks. They come, they score a few goals, and then they stop playing. And it's just been enough to squeeze through in the end. I mean, 4-1 looks very comfortable, but because they really stopped playing altogether, they conceded a lot of chances in the second half. And Manuel Neuer was really unhappy. I mean, he was in great form, made a lot of good saves, but he said, you know, the opposition could have scored five or six goals here. In brackets, we could have had 10 as well, Hmm. which is probably true. But... You just wonder if this team has a whole 90 minutes in it or when, you know, when will they will they show it? Because it's been a little bit like that since since the winter break. Some strong performances in, in, in first halves or second halves and then a bit of a drop off and some kind of uh, sloppiness um, creeping in. But, you know, they don't have massive injuries at the moment. Uh, everyone with the exceptions of Perisic and Niklas Sule is on board. So... It's a pretty good time, I think, for Bayern to get into the knockouts. And uh, you have to favour them, I think, against Chelsea. A couple of stunning strikes from Serge Gnabry in that game. Uh, meanwhile, it was 4-1 for Borussia Mönchengladbach at Fortuna Dusseldorf with uh, Lillian Thuram's son, Marcus Thuram, providing a couple of assists and uh, earning rave reviews. Yeah, he's been having a fantastic season. He's a winger, but can also be a striker. Um, so mobile, so pacey for a guy who's so physically so strong. Uh, real intelligence as well in everything he does. Um, the pass before the third goal was was absolutely genius uh, to release uh, Lima and then uh, Zakaria. It was a great performance by, by Gladbach. They struggled a little bit to begin with, but then their superior class came telling. And this is a side who haven't got any European football. And um, while everyone looks at them and thinks they can't possibly win the league because they're clearly not as good individually, um, I think they they might just surprise people. So the fact that they got another result bodes well for them and just puts a bit more pressure on the, the three guys ahead of them, Dortmund, Bayern and Leipzig. Mm, they're in the mix. Uh, now very much out of the mix, meanwhile, is Jürgen Klinsmann, who last week, towards the ten end of last week, walked out at Hertha Berlin, who promptly went out and won this weekend uh, 2-1 at, at Paderborn. What led to the sad and sudden end of the uh, of the Klinsmann dream in Berlin? So Jürgen Klinsmann uh, went to the sporting director, Michael Preetz, on Tuesday morning, knocked on his door and said he was off. And then he, he, just before that, he told the players. And before the club had even chance to put together a press release, there was already a goodbye message from, from Jürgen on Facebook basically saying that uh, he couldn't agree about the way forward with the club. He wanted to have total control in the British style, as he called it, where somebody calls all the shots and uh, Berlin were not uh, were not happy to do that. It's since emerged that there were some real creative differences, if you will, about the direction of the club. He wanted uh, total control. He wanted to bring back his son, who's a goalkeeper, to play for the second team. Had to said no. Um, Kicker on Monday morning reported that he had uh, ideas like uh, Lukas Podolski and Mesut Özil uh, for Hertha, which um, was a non-starter. And basically, uh, he realized that um, 
this dream of his of taking over the whole club effectively was not going to happen. And there was perhaps a bigger danger to be fired uh, if he had lost that six-pointer against Paderborn. So it's not the first time that when he doesn't quite get his way, he just kind of draws a line and, and, and walks off. But I think there's not many people that are desperately sad at this point in Berlin because it seems to have worked out for the better at this stage. Right. What happens to the, the, the what is it, 80, millions worth of, uh, 80 million euros worth of new players that they, they bought him in January? They're shipping them out to California to be with him. No, of course, they're, they're, they're sticking around. They're not bad players. I mean, Christian Piontek is, is a striker who a couple of years ago was on the hot list for many clubs. And I think he can recover this form. Uh, there's the likes of Santiago Ascasiba. There's Toussaint from uh, Olympic Lyon who's still there, but it's going to come in the summer unless Hertha get relegated. So I think some of these players were still identified by the old regime before Klinsmann, but Klinsmann was given the money to get them. So it's not, it's not as if they were just his players and now they have a real problem. Uh, where they would have had a problem, I think, if they'd handed him the keys to the whole club and let him hire and fire more people and basically become sort of the, the one-man show of Hertha Berlin. That's not going to happen. And I think they're actually in a pretty decent position now, even though Alexander Nuri is not the biggest name in coaching and has had a pretty poor run recently. Um, they can be safe, I think, for the rest of the season. And then they'll probably have to start another rebuilding process. I think Nuri is the eighth coach that Christoph Piontek has had in 18 months. Wow. Because he was at Genoa and they had Balladini, Juric, Prandelli, Milan, Gattuso, Giampaolo and Pioli and now Klinsmann and Nuri. Sensational. Coach killer. <laughs> coach killer. He's had, more, he's had more coaches than goals, I think, oh, yeah. in the last eight months. <laughs> Very possibly. Rafa, uh, b- before you go, I-, I don't know if you saw the uh, horrible scenes in Liga Nash where Musa Marega leaving the field yeah. in the clash between Porto and uh, Vittoria Guimaraes and, and, and all the fallout from that. A similarly nasty incident, but with a much more positive outcome in the Bundesliga dry the the third division in in germany uh, between the munster and Würzburger kickers yes james um the game was nearly done when uh, there was some incidents of uh, monkey chance directed at Würzburger kickers player leroy quadro and for once first the referee um female referee katrin uh, rafalski was very very quick to interrupt the game which was good she went over to to the player, consoled him, talked to him. Uh, there was a stadium announcement. But then something more unexpected happened, which was the whole, well, not the whole, but a significant section of the crowd got up, started singing Nazis out, and very quickly identified the man who had allegedly, we have to say, made these made these chants. And he was um, escorted out and then arrested. Uh, and he will be charged, I think, for uh, quite a significant uh, offence uh, to do with... Um, you know, racism and, and making statements uh, of that sort. So I think you're right. Uh, it's encouraging to see how quick everybody was to react, how the protocol was followed, and how it was a very encouraging outcome for a change with a real uh, a real sense of, I think, fans taking responsibility for the situation and not just sort of turning the other cheek or, or, or pretending that they didn't know what was going on, which we have seen in other stadiums. Mm, indeed so. Rafa, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you back here soon. Me too, James. Raphael Honigstein. Sadly, didn't seem anything like as positive the incident in the game between Porto and Guimaraes, Alvaro. Yeah, and it looks very bad in uh, 
some Porto players as well, the likes of Otavio, I think that uh, Alex Telles and Marcano were there, and they were trying to um, deter the player from leaving the pitch. Mm. I mean, he didn't want to leave the pitch per se and leave his team with 10 men. He wanted to be shopped. And no, no more than that. And in fact, he was shopped by uh, the manager and Manafa came in. Right. But the, the thing here is that we couldn't feel the support of Porto players towards his teammate, neither the Porto manager, even though after the game, obviously, there was not only this statement from uh, the sad protagonist of this, but also Marega, but also the statement from Porto condemning what happened. And also a statement from the president of the Portuguese Republic, Marcelo Revelo de Sousa, who was also very vocal about, about this and was condemning uh, what happened in Guimarães. Right. He actually picked up a, a yellow card from the referee Marega before he was subbed off by Sergio Conceição, the, the manager. I don't know if that's going to be rescinded or, or, or what uh, will happen there, because it seems... Seems extraordinary. He posted a message, Mariga, about it afterwards, saying, "Yeah, thanks, referee, for not defending me and booking me for yeah. for standing up for the color of my skin." Yeah, normally this statement uh, used to be a little bit weaker or perhaps more diplomatic, and this one was uh, full gas against the referee as well. So I think that uh, it was time to to do something like that, and it reflects perfectly how he felt uh, on the pitch. And by the way, again, I want to say he didn't want to leave the pitch and leave uh, his team with 10 men. He wanted to be sharp. And uh, I think that the manager, Conceição, didn't understand that at the beginning. And uh, it looked very bad again on some players who were tremendously intense on him not to leave the pitch. They were thinking about the score and all that. I know that Oporto wants to win the, the league as well, but still, uh, this goes beyond uh, any sporting performance. Absolutely. Up next, we are off to Italy. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Quite the dramatic Sunday night in Serie A. The top three in the division were separated by one point. Coming into this weekend, Sunday night, two of them, Lazio and Inter, went head-to-head at the Stadio Olimpico. James. Magnificent game, James. I think um, the standard of Serie A, as Antonio Conte said, partly making excuse for the defeat, has really come on in the last year, I think. And just as a spectacle as well, I should note before the game, this was the biggest crowd that Lazio have had this season, bigger than the one that they had at the derby um, back in, in August. Great choreography as they well. They spell things with mobile phones. They didn't spell things with mobile phones. The Curvenor did um, essentially two hands holding two flags, the Inter flag and the Lazio flag, because there is a amicizia, there's a friendship. But Gemelaggio, they are mm. twinned. And there was a uh, there was a banner showing Ray Cecconi and Giacinto Facchetti embracing. So two legends of those clubs. And I think the game kind of lived up to it. It wasn't as entertaining as the Milan derby. Right. last weekend but in terms of um, the standards uh, it felt like a a very high standard European game a chess game essentially for the I would I think both both of these managers had really well prepared for it in terms of the pressing game that Inter wanted to play where you had uh, Lautaro Martinez shadowing Lucas Leiva wherever he went you had Lukaku on a chair to be you had the two midfield players trying to um, stop Lazio's other centre-backs from playing out but Lazio found ways around it. Milinkovic-Savic had a mm. magnificent game. We, we need to talk about Milinkovic-Savic. Uh, Christian Keane saying, how good is 
uh, Milinkovic Savage. He seems pretty damn good and looks like he could be an answer for several of the top Premier League sides. He's a player who had that thunderous season was it two years ago now and then gone a little bit off the boil now seems to be back I mean there's there's one clip for example where he's absolutely schooling Christian Eriksen and, and, and Barella yeah. and then the goal as well the goal which ultimately won the game a 2-1 victory for, for Lazio well I mean he hit the bar early in the first half with his right foot um, he scores with his left foot um, to put Lazio ahead he won the penalty uh, for, for the equaliser um, as well he is uh, yeah, he's been compared with the kind of Ibrahimovic of midfield in terms of his size because so often Lazio, when they have difficulty playing out, say when teams like Inter press them, they just go along and he can bring the ball out of the sky and get them going again. Um, but you mentioned that season he had a couple of years ago when Lazio held out for $120 million for him and then no one came. He had a disappointing World Cup. There was a sense that he's head was turned by the interest that was put in him that summer and he had a, a poor season last year even though he was named quite perplexingly the best midfield player in Serie A for the inaugural awards but this season you have to say in big games he's really turned up um, yeah you can even go back to the end of last year when he he helped them win the Coppa Italia final against uh, Atalanta he came up big in both games against Juventus. Um, he scored that magnificent goal in the league against Juventus back in December um, and also set up the first one in the Super Cup. Um, in terms of just size and skill, he's a really unusual and exciting midfield player. Um, and yeah, his partner as well, Luis Alberto, um, has had a, a sensational season again. Like Milinkovic, he was linked with a, a move on the back of great uh, performances the season before last. His form then really suffered last year, but he's already in double figures for assists. Um, and he's one of the best playmakers, if not the best playmaker in Serie A um, at the moment. And I think deserves to go to the Euros with, uh, with Spain. Okay. Uh, Lazio, with the 2-1 victory, uh, moving up into second place, while Inter dropped down to third. Lazio now have 56 points, the most they've ever had at this point of a season. Just one point off the top and their Scudetto campaign gathers momentum well, what I like about them James is they're not afraid to talk about it right um, yeah if you listen to Antonio Conte the, the night before the game he was like we're two outsiders um, you know obviously um, there was a lot of work to do here to close the gap between us and Juventus maybe we're not ready um, to win the league title um, Lazio on the other hand four years into Simone Inzaghi's time there um, you know, but for Stefan de Vrij, Antonio Candreva and also Felipe Anderson, it's more or less the same team that it has been for the last few years. They've gained a lot of experience winning the Coppa Italia, winning the Super Cup twice. You look at in terms of their credentials, James, they've beaten Juventus twice this year. They've beaten Inter. They uh, won at San Siro against Milan for the first time since 1989. This is a team that believes and you can see that just by how many goals they score late um, in games as well. It's a team that never really gives up. And I don't think anyone can really question uh, whether they're in a title race or not, regardless of you know, the fact that they're a point behind Juventus. I think they deserve to be there just in terms of how well they're, how well they're playing. They're the most balanced, complete team in the league at the moment. Juve face Inter in two weeks' time, so someone's going to drop some points <laughs> there. Lazio's fixtures in the meantime against Genoa and Bologna mean that they could very well come out of that round in first place if not before yeah and this is a team James that has got the second best attack in the league behind Atalanta it's got the best defence and we all know that um, yeah, usually 
the team that has the best defence wins the league. Um, and yeah, there aren't many big names at the back for Lazio. You know, you can Stelakosha didn't have a particularly good game last night and didn't have a particularly good game in the derby. You can see why Acerbi is first choice to start alongside Leonardo Bonucci for Italy at the moment in Giorgio Chiellini's absence, although Chiellini is now back. And they can see out games as they did last night, which is something Inter can't do at the moment. And they can score on you at will. I mean, you look at the number of times that they've overcome you know, adversity, be it suspensions and injuries, you know, like last week's win against Parma, where um, they were without two key players through suspension. The stoppage time win against Brescia. Okay, you can say Brescia are a team that's fighting relegation, but they kept going in that game and got the win. And also that win against Cagliari, which has sent Cagliari into a spiral that they've yet to get out of. Um, Ten games without a, without a win since Lazio basically went into stoppage time losing in Sardinia and finished the game winning. Um, and I think that shows the kind of uh, the metal um, that this team has. You can't see that metal in Juventus. You can't see it in Inter um, at the moment. And I think that's one of the reasons why there is such confidence right. in Lazio's ability to take this title race to the wire. Wow, Jack Beresford asks, how does this Lazio side stack up against Sven's Scudetto-winning team of 99-2000? Who would win if the two sides played each other? Who would win? I think you can answer that. <laughs> I mean, the, the, it's two different eras. Lazio used to break world transfer records at this time. Right. There are several legends of the game, not only Lazio, in right. that Lazio team. I would find it very hard um, I mean, that was a team. Who would you have? Marcajani, you had uh, Christian Vieri. Veron, Simeone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nesta. <laughs> Nesta. I mean, yeah. it's, it's... You had, um, Nedved was still there? Yeah, Nedved. Yeah. It's very difficult to forecast the, a win for this current Lazio side, no matter how good it is, and it is a very good Lazio side right. um, against, against that one. But Nice question, though. Uh, second defeat of the week for Inter after they lost the first leg of the Coppa Italia the semi-final to Napoli on the Wednesday. And as I say, they dropped down to third place. Sorry, you were going to say... No, I was just about to jump in, James, and say that it's not only two defeats, but remember what the score was at half-time of the Milan derby as well, into a 2-0 down. Mm. Um, they've taken 17 points from 30 since December. And you know, Conte saying last night that this team is not a great team yet. Um, it still needs time. Um, and uh, at the back in particular... Um, they're too uh, frenzied when they've got the ball, too fearful when they get the ball. The ball seems to get heavier when uh, their defenders have it at their feet at the moment, mm. which is um, surprising. Goodin, for example, really suffering at the moment, both in the Milan derby and in this game, he was taken off. Skriniar not looking himself either. Um, Ashley Young, though. Ashley Young becoming the first uh, Englishman to score for Inter since uh, Paul Ince mm. back in 1997. Great Trezeguet-like finish to put, uh, put Inter in front. Um, but Inter really threatened too little in uh, in this game. Lautaro Martinez in particular was peripheral, which was you know, which was a shame because that partnership has been so much of what is so good about Inter this season. They just weren't really able to get anything going at all um, on Sunday night. Would Inter have lost this game if Handanovic had been playing? Well, Handanovic was the man of the match in the reverse fixture, which uh, Inter won one nil, and I think it's clear on the basis of particularly the performance in the Milan derby that the defenders playing in front of Padelli who hadn't played a league game since what the end of 2016 
they don't have much faith in him and there was a real miscommunication on that second goal and we don't know really when Handanovic is going to be back uh, from this kind of fractured pinky um, that he's uh, he sustained in uh, in training which you know all about yourself James it's a very painful injury um, and he is crucial because you know as we've seen with um, Juventus as well these defences which with some respects look very reliable goalkeepers had very good seasons this year both Handanovic and Chesney um, so yeah I think there is certainly that kind of anxiety that you see it into which seems so uncharacteristic of, of them and the Conte side at the moment I think partly does come through the goalkeeper Alright James what about Juventus then Jurgen Klopp's pick for European glory He can't understand why they're not 10 points clear at the top of Serie A James Because it's such a competitive league Well there's that as well and the fact that Juventus are no great shakes at the moment mm-hmm. under Maurizio Sadi and even though they won this game 2-0 um, 2-0 two two nil. Nil. Two Brescia 10 man Brescia 10 man Brescia mm-hmm. who I mean everything that could go wrong did go wrong for Brescia because they went into this game without the spine of the team Jesse Joronen the goalkeeper was out injured Cistana out injured Tonali out injured Romolo out injured the top scorer Toddy Grossa out injured um, they then lose their second choice goalkeeper to injury after uh, 10 minutes and then they go down to 10 men after 40 minutes at the time which the score was still nil-nil and you could tell the Allianz Stadium was getting quite restless uh, with Juventus um, they were jeering uh, when there were misplaced passes when um, attacking players chose the wrong pass and attacks broke down um, and ultimately it was a Dybala free kick beautiful Dybala free wow. kick mm. I think it's the second free kick goal he scored in eight attempts this season and it's noticeable because Cristiano Ronaldo was not playing he was not in the squad and Cristiano has taken 32 without scoring um, this year so that was one of the kind of silver linings of this performance if you like um, from Juventus it then took them until the 75th minute to actually score from open play right. against this relegation fodder that is Brescia although they did hit the I mean Dybala cracked one off the post also um, Bentanka Rugani did as well yeah. um, they were poor and um, yeah, front page of Tutorsport which usually is the cheerleader for Juventus saying it's not enough um, they need to be doing uh, better and um, certainly at the moment there is this renewed conjecture as to whether Sadi and Juventus are a good fit I see. Um, there was this meeting on Monday between Sadi and Yeli and Paratici um, after the defeat to Verona um, which they said had always been scheduled regardless of the result that they got the weekend um, but certainly there is a feeling that this Juventus side should be uh, performing to a higher standard and should be further along in this development away from Allegri's team and closer to what Sarri wants from the team. With this feeling that maybe Sarri isn't the answer for them, and with the current situation at Manchester City, there's plenty of people <laughs> suggesting that Guardiola might be heading to Turin in the near future. How realistic... Including Alex Del Piero, <laughs> who's saying yeah, that the right. How realistic a prospect do you think that is? I mean, as with all top clubs, there's an interest in Pep Guardiola because he's recognised as the best coach of his generation. There were reports in uh, in Italy that there was an approach made to Guardiola around a year ago, last March, and he politely declined, said he was flattered. You look at the costs involved to A, get rid of Sadi and to bring in someone like Guardiola, it looks prohibitive, even for a team like Juventus. Um, so, yeah, I found Paratici's comments before the game on Sunday quite telling because he didn't really come out with a statement that was very 
confident about Maurizio Sarri. It did seem that he's under scrutiny. We're all under scrutiny at Juventus, uh, including me. So at the moment, I, I think it's a too soon to be drawing conclusions about what Pep, um, what his next move is going to be, particularly given what we've seen in the Athletic, which is he's told the players, you know, that we need to show that it's not about money. He seems to have indicated that he wants to stay, that this isn't the decider in his decision. But yeah, I think any top club would be interested in, in Pep um, were he to become available. Well, speaking of top clubs... Up next, we're going to be looking at our friends Atalanta, who are in the last 16 of the Champions League for the first time ever, taking on Valencia. Our thoughts on that next. Bruno Perez prova a intervenire. Gosens la tiene viva. Pasalic! 2-1 Atalanta! Pasalic! Palla in buca d'angolo, appena entrato! Atalanta strengthened their hold on the fourth Champions League place in Serie A this weekend by beating rivals Roma 2-1 in Bergamo. Oh my word, what a goal from second-half substitute Mario Pazalic. Hey, James. Yeah, it didn't take long, did he? 19 seconds. 19 seconds. After coming on for Duvan Zapata. Just an insane goal. A wonderful placed uh, finish into the top corner around uh, a defender. Mm. Poor defending from uh, Roma. Uh, essentially comes from a throw-in. But yeah, Atalanta turning this game around in the space of nine minutes uh, in, the, in the second half. Um, they were on top throughout, really. Um, Roma's opener came against the run of play. Um, and great scenes at the end of the game as well with the players kind of taking selfies in front of the uh, the new stand where the Atalanta hardcore uh, sit or stand and sing um, because, of course, they won't be playing there on Wednesday night. They'll be playing at San Siro. Wednesday night they'll be at San Siro as they take on Valencia, who themselves had a 2-2 draw with Atletico Madrid uh, this weekend. Do you guys want to bet any lunches on this clash? Gasparini himself has said that the draw couldn't have been kinder. Um, this is the draw we wanted. Um, yeah, They are respectful of Valencia, but I think they, they appreciate that of the teams left in the competition. I'm sure Valencia will look at it the same way. Yeah, um, this so. gives them an opportunity of getting to the quarterfinals. I think that Valencia is uh, a club that surprisingly came out first in that Champions League group with Chelsea and Ajax. Mm. I don't think that Valencia is necessarily better than them, but uh, some circumstances in there uh, help Valencia. And also they behave very professionally, uh, considering that uh, the manager the players wanted left in August. And uh, Celades came, he was a little bit like a, a guy sponsored and uh, also supported by Valencia owner that uh, many supporters and allegedly players at Valencia don't like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, there has been uh, some sort of a decent marriage between Celades and the rest of the players, but Valencia is not getting to this game in a good uh, form, not at all. I mean, in fact, the beginning of the year has been quite bad for them. In the Super Cup, they lost against Real Madrid, deserving to lose, and from that point onwards, they just couldn't find them, their game. They had many players in the sidelines, and for this game in particular, and for this tiger against uh, Atalanta, they're going to have a massive problem in the center of the defense, because Garay will not be there until the end of the season. Uh, he has a, a surgery. And then uh, another important defender, Gabriel Paulista, the former Arsenal defender, who, by the way, scored this weekend against Atletico de Madrid, is suspended for two games. And anyway, he picked an injury as well in the 90th minute of the game against Atletico. So Valencia will play with Diakavi, an all-right defender, mm -hmm. and Eliakim Mangala, 
a former Manchester City defender right. who has been as catastrophic sometimes <laughs> for Valencia as he was for Manchester City, yes. Wow. James, you sound confident about Atalanta. At the same time, though, you were ahead of their Champions League group stage matches, which which they started in catastrophic fashion themselves. The opening three games, they lost with an aggregate score of 11-2. Do you think this time they're going to get it right first time? Yeah, because I think they figured it out um, in the second half of that group stage. Um, they said that um, the pace and the quality of Champions League football, which yeah they believe to be completely different to what they experience on a daily basis in Serie A, they needed to adapt and they have done. And also, if you look at um, that result against Roma, it was seen as a kind of playoff, an early playoff for Champions League for fourth spot. They won it. They're six points clear of Roma, but in reality, it's seven points because they've beaten Roma twice this season. So on head-to-head, Roma are going to have to overcome um, them. They can't just match them. Um, so I think that gives them some serenity to go into this game in the right frame of mind. Um, they've won some big games recently, not only against Roma, but also against Fiorentina um, as well. And I think one of the reasons for that um poor start in the Champions League wasn't only a lack of experience they lost Duvan Zapata their um, top scorer to injury for for much of the first half of the season and Gasparini was talking about this on at the weekend in that they used that period to find other ways to win and you mentioned Pasilic um, James who's I think scored six goals this season Pasilic is one of those solutions that they found um, scored six goals they're really good at confusing teams because um, Papu can play he'll start on the left wing He'll then come inside and play 10. And then if he wants, he'll play in midfield. It's great and for counter-attacks as well. It's so quick. Yeah. yeah. And and no one can pick him up. And Ilicic is the kind of player who can go past players, beat them. Even if, you know, a, a team like Valencia decides to defend deep, he's he can beat a defender. Um, so there's a lot of reason, I believe, to be, to be confident um, that Atalanta can keep this dream alive. And and so far as well, if you look, they've already earned more money in the Champions League in terms of TV revenue, prize money, than their entire wage bill. So, I mean, it's an incredible story that just keeps... Uh, it's not finished yet, James. Uh, that game coming up on Wednesday before that, Tuesday night, Alvaro, massive game in Madrid as Atletico Madrid take on Liverpool. Ouch. Yes, you're right. And Sadio Mane is back as yes. well for Liverpool. He mm. scored this weekend, so that is obviously bad news for Atletico de Madrid. Look, I think that Atletico de Madrid, five years ago, they could have outmuscled many, many teams and they could make you get into their uh, spider web, if to put, it, to put it in some sort of way. I mean, but nowadays they don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this weekend, uh, for instance, on Friday, uh, they played with four holding midfielders and four defenders, and yet Valencia managed to score two goals. Wow. Uh, this is what tells you that Atletico de Madrid is not as strong defensively as they were before. So the team has problems defensively, uh, which get aggravated because they don't have good strikers now. Morata came back this uh, Friday, which is uh, good news for Atletico de Madrid because they were playing up front with Correa and Vitolo. None of them are uh, number nines. I guess that Morata will play for at- for Atletico de Madrid against Liverpool uh, this uh, Tuesday. I don't think that Diego Costa will start because he hasn't played since his injury, but probably he will make it at least to the game day squad. And uh, Joe Felix? Felix won't make it. He won't make it. I am 99% he won't make it. Right. Yeah. Then you've got Kieran Trippier is out. Hector Herrera, who could play, is out as well. Jimenez, a really good defender for Atletico de Madrid. I think that he will make it to the squad again, but he's not fit at all. So there are like four or five 
really important players at Atletico de Madrid that may feature the likes of Morata, the likes of Jiménez, uh, Diego Costa, and Coque, who came back two weeks ago, right. who are not 100%. So this is going to set the tone for the game. Very badly for Atletico, I believe. Two weeks ago, I said that Liverpool was the outstanding favorite. I still keep that because I believe that if Liverpool does to Atletico what they did to Norwich this weekend, which is very possible, just keep Norwich in their own box for 20 minutes and trying and trying and trying and pushing again, Atletico de Madrid will definitely be in their box. And in the past, with Godin, with Jiménez, uh, with the structure they have, they were so happy to stay in their box and just clear the ball. Mm -hmm. And play for the counter-attack. But they don't have Godin anymore, and in their own box, Atletico de Madrid is not good. In fact, this weekend, they have conceded two goals in set pieces. All that said, it's very good that Coque is back. It's good that Morata is back, because uh -huh. those are the only two players who can actually make a counter-attack for okay. Atletico de Madrid. Thomas Partey's goal against Valencia on Friday night was the first one that they've scored, Atletico, from outside, this, <laughs> from outside the box this season. That's remarkable. It is. If anyone could do that, was uh, Thomas Partey, which, by the way, sometimes goes overlooked because Atletico de Madrid has two players from their own academy in midfield, uh, Saúl Níguez, who plays as a midfielder or a left-back, and Coque. And uh, we don't talk enough about Thomas Partey. But he's probably the best midfielder of Atletico de Madrid. And uh, not only because he's got... Uh, a lot of physical presence in midfield, but also because he can take on a player in midfield, which is very good for Atletico de Madrid to break a line, and his passes are pretty deep as well. So this is a player who will definitely be one of those that Simeone will rely on to fight Wijnaldum, Henderson, and players with a lot of strength. Okay. That was, as I say, their first goal from outside the box. Only two teams in the top five leagues in Europe have still yet to score from outside the area, James. Do you know who they are? <laughs> in Europe. Yeah. Five, the big five leagues. In the big five leagues in Europe, only two teams have still yet to score from outside the uh, area. I imagine one is in Italy. Nope. They're oh. both in the Premier League. One oh. is Manchester City? Nope. It's and Crystal the... Palace and Watford. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Right. It's the first time that Atletico Madrid and Liverpool have met in a decade since the 2010 Europa League semi-final, which Atletico won on away goals. Diego Forlan scoring an extra time. To send them through to a final against Fulham. Remember that? I do. Brilliant. Yeah. David De Gea and Sergio Aguero were also in the Atletico side that night. Happy yeah. days, eh? Happy days, but uh, I think these days are even happier for Atletico de Madrid. That was the season when Atletico de Madrid mm -hmm. got back to winning ways, 2010, uh -huh. with Quique Sánchez Flores. And from that point onwards, yes, there was a, a year with uh, Gregorio Manzano that didn't go well. They appointed Simeone and the rest is history. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Meanwhile, in La Liga, it's back to just a point in the title race. After Real Madrid drew with Celta Vigo and Barcelona beat Getafe, but only just... Alvaro, is that fair? Was it well, a narrow win for yes, Barcelona? Yeah, definitely. It was a clash of styles between two managers that they cannot stand each other for um, ideological reasons, I guess, uh, football-wise. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even shake hands uh, in the dugout really? at the beginning of the game. Quique Setien and Jose Bordalas. Getafe mm -hmm. coming third to this game and Barcelona coming second. Well, Barcelona managed to win because they dominate for about 20 minutes, 25, no more. 
And in those 25 minutes, they scored a couple of goals, really nice ones. Uh, the first one of Antoine Griezmann after mm. a sublime pass from Lionel Messi, and Griezmann scored uh, as well in one touch. And then Sergi Roberto scored the second. The second half was all about Getafe. True that Barcelona had the ball, but uh, Marc-André Ter Stegen, the goalkeeper, had to give 69 passes. Yeah, incredible, no? Yes, because Getafe was pressing so high that Barcelona didn't know how to negotiate that high pressure. Kike Setien was trying to insist again and again and again on playing from the back because they don't have Luis Suárez anymore in the team. He's injured. So that option of uh, sending a long ball to Luis Suárez doesn't exist anymore. You've got a very fragile, light player up front, Antoine Griezmann. He cannot, obviously, fight with the defenders for high balls. Ansu Fati, he's still paper-made. I mean, he's 17 <laughs> years old and he's so light. And Lionel Messi won't, won't do that, won't, won't fight for a for a high ball. So, yeah, at the end, the ball was passed repeatedly to Ter Stegen, and some say, rightly so, I believe, that that is a very good way of uh, attracting the opponent to you, so you can play the ball to the fullbacks, but at the same time, it implies a high risk, and Barcelona is taking that risk a lot. Barcelona, anyway, closing to within one point of Real Madrid at the top of the table, Zidane side dropping points at home to struggling Celta Vigo who equalised with five minutes to go. Eden Hazard starting, making his first appearance since November. Looking and sharp. Looking sharp, yeah. Very sharp, yeah. Winning a penalty as well. As well. He's the player who has won more penalty in La Liga this season, mm. and he's been absent for half he's of the competition. Made, he's only made nine appearances. There you go. And he's won more penalties than anybody else in the division. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, Real Sociedad's clash with Eibar was, as you mentioned, postponed because of high levels of chemical compounds in the area. Yes. Why is that? Well, my family has been talking about this the whole week. Oh. It's from the Basque country. And they, right. well, it's, a, it's an issue that has uh, had political implications as well. So basically, where it happened, Zaldívar is a town which is uh, less than 10 kilometers away from Eibar. Mm -hmm. And uh, a tragedy took place because uh, there was a landfill collapsing near, uh -huh. near Eibar. And uh, two workers died. Oh, wow. Two workers died. They, they were buried by all the chemicals and all the uh, compounds and all the materials that fell on them. Okay, That happened on the 6th of February. On the 7th of February, uh, while uh, the police were trying to search for the bodies, um, it was detected that there was asbestos in the air uh, from those compounds. It's not that asbestos is used uh, for construction anymore, mm -hmm. but obviously some of the those materials that were dumped there were from all buildings. Sure. The, when the materials crack, obviously the asbestos is released. And Eibar Stadium is not far from there. It's only 10 kilometers away. So the whole week, the police has been trying, the police and uh, obviously the, the cleaning staff of the municipality has been trying to clean this. But uh, at some point on Saturday, mm. um, authorities deemed that the game uh, couldn't be played. And They also suggest the locals not to go out to practice sports and also to close the windows as well wow. because this could be quite dangerous. Right. So how long, how long is this expected to go on for? Well, it's going on so far and uh, I don't know for how long it's going to go on, but what I can tell you is that uh, it has uh, had some political consequences and the Basque country's uh, president, called Lendakari, he has called for early elections as a result of all this mismanagement. Wow, okay. Well, two other big stories that we should touch on before we leave La Liga. One is Barcelona, poor things, who don't have any strikers left. They've only got 
Griezmann and Messi have been given special dispensation to go and get someone to score goals for them. Yes, you're right, because Ousmane Dembélé is out, Luis Suárez is out, and in Spain, there is something you can do if you lose a player, and you've got a medical report saying that the player will miss the rest of the season, right. you can present that to La Liga and the Spanish FA, and uh, if they believe and they consider that the medical report is right, right, they give you permission to sign a player who plays in the Spanish domestic football, uh-huh. or a player who doesn't have a team. Okay. Therefore, unemployed. Okay, so somebody who's out of contract or yeah. already in the Liga. Or in the Spanish domestic okay. football. It could be the second division or the third division. Right. And there are a few candidates uh, who could go to Barcelona, and all of them know that they will be signed for a short period. Right. One of them is Ángel, who scored a goal against Barcelona this weekend. Mm-hmm. And the other names are well-known, I think, some of them. Lucas Pérez, he played for, for Arsenal and West Ham. Also, William José from Real Sociedad. Christian Estuani from Girona and some right. other players are Loren Moron from Betis, uh, Unal, Budimir and Braith White. The, the next Barcelona striker will come from those candidates. It's extraordinary. Adebayor moved to Paraguay. <laughs> it's a real shame. That's a remarkable it's, situation, Adebayor. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. What would the rest of the league feel about this? Barcelona well, who decided not to... You know, they just had the January transfer window. Yeah, I know, but uh, this is something that has happened in the past in Spain and it's ridiculous. I mean, for me who sees as an outsider now because I also live in the UK and all that, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get how you could weaken a team so badly in the beginning of the season. We're talking about February. We're talking almost about the end of February now. Mm. That Barcelona can buy, for instance, a striker from Getafe. They are trying to qualify for Champions League and they are trying to go far in the Europa League. And you can get a player off them. That's ridiculous. Uh, that's not the only controversy that Barcelona are involved in this week. Mm. You're right, because on a Monday it was published uh, by Cadena Ser that uh, Bartomeu and Barcelona as a club uh, hired a social media agency that was, number one, laundering the image of Barcelona as a club mm-hmm. and the Barcelona president, mm-hmm. and number two, making negative propaganda of some really important Barcelona key figures like Lionel Messi, Gerard Piqué, the candidate to the next elections, Victor Font. So the club hired a social media company that was putting out, was putting negative stuff out about (laughs) one of the club's own players, Leo Messi, and one of uh, the president's rivals in the next election. It's an accusation by Cadena Ser, uh, but uh, they they do really good investigative uh, journalism. And Barcelona has denied this, has denied that... uh, they have hired this company right. to do negative propaganda of Messi or the likes of Gerard Piqué or Puyol. But they haven't denied the connection with this company. They have accepted that they hired this company, but not for these purposes. Right. That's uh, extraordinary. What do you think the potential fallout of that is going to be, particularly in a situation where we've already seen some fracture between uh, Messi, for example, and the hierarchy of the club? I think that the... Elections are going to be in 2021 on paper, but if uh, this scandal proves to be right, uh, the elections probably will be in 2020. So at the end of this summer, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Okay, well, we'll keep across that story. Still lots to come in this show. Very shortly, we'll be having a look at the Europa League fixtures to keep your eye on on Thursday and also answering some of your Twitter questions. Right now, though, Paddy Power. Good morning, listener. Producer Charlie here. It's been another cracking weekend in Europe. Lee Price and Paddy Power is here to boil it down to the numbers. Lee, Lazio are up to second in Serie A, just a point behind Juventus. Are we finally starting to believe in Simone and Zaghi's side? Well, kind of. They're up to second favourites in our betting, but the biggest shortening in the market has been Juventus as more concrete favourites. The old lady now 
four to seven to win Serie A, with Lazio the team putting the biggest challenge to them as per the league table at eleven to four. Inter, who were all too briefly in pole position, are now seven to two third favourites. It was another weekend where Sancho shone, but which club will he be at next season? Mm, a man on the move both on and off the pitch. It's odds on that Sancho moves this summer and odds on he comes to England. United lead the race for Sancho, as we often say about most leading young talents in Europe. Of course, they usually then miss out on their man. So it might be interesting to look at Liverpool, who are second in the betting. Chelsea signing of Hakim Ziyech seems to have kiboshed any move for Sancho from them. They're out to 6-1 to to sign him this summer. Finally, the Europa League returns on Thursday. Who's in line to win the whole thing? A really, really open field of teams. Tough to pick a favourite for me, for the traders, their day jobs, they have to. But they've picked two favourites, unbelievable. Inter and Sevilla, 6-1 to joint favourites, although both do have a lot to focus on domestically, of course. Manchester United are third favourites, a 13-2, just ahead of Arsenal at 7-1, to with Ajax the same price. Wolves are 9-1, to but the three English clubs will surely sooner or later have to make a call on the priority of the Europa League, and that could be telling. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Here's a question from BP who throws this one at you. What's the most likely upset in the last 16 of the Champions League? Napoli to knock out Barcelona? Question mark. What do you think? Well, the curious thing about Napoli, who've won three of their last four games, finally the Gattuso cure is working, is that they've beaten... Juventus, they've beaten Inter, they've beaten Lazio, they've beaten Liverpool. This group of players does seem strangely able to raise its game. Uh, club, I mean, you're talking about the turmoil at Barcelona, the the upheaval that they've been through. Ah, it's yeah, it's remarkable. Both clubs, yeah, yeah. We, we have to admit that, but, but the, there is a difference here, I believe. That I think Napoli could do. Just doing very well in Champions League and uh, not doing that well in Serie A. Right. Whereas for Barcelona, that's unacceptable. So every game that Barcelona has remaining, uh, and if they make it to the Champions League final, it's mm. going to be 21 in total. They're going to play with 14 or 15 players. So I think that Barcelona is going to um, find it difficult to beat Napoli just for pure tiredness and energy reasons as well. Right, OK, that clash... Uh, the first leg of it coming up in a week's time. This Thursday, Europa League gets underway. Uh, among the fixtures that might catch your eye, Club Bruges against Man United, you know or not. Celtic are going to be away at Copenhagen. Red Bull Salzburg start life in Europe without Haaland and uh, Minamino away at uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. They've lost their lead in um, in the Austria. Austrian Bundesliga as well. Well, not too surprising um, when yeah. your team gets broken up and well, not hasn't been broken up entirely, but when you lose two difference makers like that. Absolutely. Stuff I like the look of Getafe against Ajax but right. for the reasons that Alvaro mentioned earlier what, what on. Do you think, uh, I love it. I thought um, two months ago that Getafe was going to go through and now my opinion is even more reinforced after really? what yeah, after what I saw against Barcelona this weekend. Getafe is a team that they, they know exactly what they are doing. They did mm. uh, 30 faults against Barcelona the other day and they only got two yellow cards, I think. They know how to stop the game of those teams that need some flow, some good passes and all that. Right. So I think that Getafe has the formula to uh, stop uh, Ajax uh, football. What, what's popularly known as anti-football, but... Uh Gloriously effective in their case. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, wow. and they are very physical as well. Okay, that's Gaddafi taking on Ajax. So Ludogorets, the uh, children of the forest, <laughs> are going to be hosting Inter. Never know what to expect from Inter. No, no, you're absolutely right, James. Even though Antonio Conte says, 
Um, we are focused on all these competitions that we're playing in. Coppa Italia, which yeah, they lost the first leg to uh, to Napoli at San Siro, the league title and the Europa League. That's why we went so big in the transfer window in January because we want to kind of honour these competitions. On paper, you would say that Inter should be favourites for that, but rightly so, James. In the last few years, you don't know what to expect from Inter, in, particularly in the Europa League. Um, Shakhtar Benfica looks like a, Ooh, a, good a, a good tie as well. Yeah. By Leverkusen against Porto. That's I mean, another a, yeah. Champions League-esque. Uh, Olympiacos against Arsenal. Olympiacos who gave Spurs a scare or two in the group stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drew with them in Perez. And, and Olympiacos may be effectively the Greek league winner right. next week Ooh. because uh, Pauk, their biggest rival in the Greek Super League, they may have a points deduction if... Uh, Olympiacos and Greek Super League's uh, claim goes ahead in court. Okay. Yeah. A claim for... Basically, uh, what Pauk owner is accused of is of having common ownership of Sanfi, a team in the north of Greek, right. Greece, and also Pauk Thessaloniki. Ah. That's forbidden. You cannot have ownership in two teams. Right. And uh, that has been investigated. And on the 24th, which I believe is next Monday, uh-huh. it will be the sentence will be published and uh, Pauk may face uh, pointed actions. I don't know if relegation. So that would mean but that... That would mean Olympiacos would automatically become... Not automatically, but if they deduct 10 points from Pauk okay. or 5, we can say that Olympiacos has won the Champions title. earlier than Liverpool. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Olympiacos is playing against Pauk this weekend. So if they beat wow. Pauk, which is going to be a riot in Thessaloniki, by the way, yeah. uh, because uh, you can imagine how people from Thessaloniki are about all these things. Uh-huh. If they beat Pauk and that the court um, accepts that uh, well, the allegations are right and uh, the points deductions happen, mm-hmm. basically Olympiacos will be the Super League, uh, the Greek Super League winner. Incredible. Do you watch a lot of Greek Super League in the house? Your wife is Greek, no? Yes, is- yes, yes. This is the thing. Uh, Alvaro's... Uh, let's put it this way. I cannot not be a Pauk Thessaloniki fan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wow. have a choice there. Wow. So, and they're going to need all the fans they can get because dark times for, yes. for Pauk. Rangers are up against Braga, uh, whose boss, Ruben Amarim, has only been in management for three months and he's already won the Portuguese League Cup. He's 35 years old. Roma take on Ghent. Roma in a real slump at the moment. You were at Roma's training ground this week. Were they throwing fish? <laughs> no, they weren't throwing fish. It's okay. a pretty good atmosphere around All the right. training ground. Nice. And Wolves, Alvaro, yes. take on Espanyol. Yeah, and um, Espanyol looked dead in December, but now with the new manager, <laughs> okay. Babelardo. Right. They are doing very well. They managed to get a draw against Sevilla. Maybe they deserve more this weekend against mm-hmm. Sevilla. And I believe that they are now in the right uh, position to try to avoid relegation and uh, give a surprising upset to Wolverhampton Wanderers. I think that Wolves is favourite for this game, uh-huh. but uh, Espanyol seems to be totally revamped since they got Abelardo and they made an investment in winter as well. They got uh, Raúl de Tomás for 20 million from Benfica and uh, Raúl de Tomás is uh, scoring his goals and uh, I believe that uh, Wolves is not going to find it that easy to eliminate Espanyol. Ooh, all right. Thanks for calling that one. Well, we'll have the reaction to the Champions League fixtures in Thursday's Totally Football Show. Our thoughts on what happens in the Europa League, of course. Well, that'll have to wait till next Tuesday when we'll hopefully be rejoined by Julian Laurence and Raphael Honigstein back from their jaunts. Alvaro Romeo, thank you so much for being here today. And James Horncastle, too. Pleasure. And thank you, listener. It's been splendid being with you. And we'll be back on Thursday. Have a great time till then and enjoy that crazy Euro football. 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. listeners i'm caroline barker host of the totally football league show i'm joined each week by sam parkin say hello sam hi caroline by adrian clark say hello adrian hello and the bolton wanderers fan too not adrian but joe criddy looking forward to league two yes (laughs) each week we go head first into the efl to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever ian holloway has said now from leeds to luton sunderland to plymouth swindon to stevenage and everything in between if it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered, haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy News Media.